Welcome back to the Flag Mantle Podcast. Today I've got a bit of a different episode. Real Car is down south doing some special things by himself. And so I'm here to work out what to do. So I've got a home edition of the Flag Mantle Podcast just for you. But don't worry, we're going to cover all the same topics as usual. Uh, so on the weekend, we had a pretty good win. Uh, we beat the Demons. It was 10-12-72 to 12-7-79. And the Dockers looked great. Honestly, I couldn't fault the performance after the first quarter um i was i was very surprised with this game uh honestly i was i was not expecting us to win i did tip the demons by i think 15 points is what i said last week so look i was just expecting a competitive game from the boys and they over delivered for me and that makes it four in a row so we beat the hawks the swans the cats and now the demons and the demons were the big scout we really needed to get the season going um, which, look, it's, it's great from a fan's point of view, but it's a shame that the bye has come now. Um, so obviously no game this weekend. Uh, round 12 is our bye, but we stand ninth on the ladder with six wins, five losses, and about 102%. So we're percentage off the eight, and I think we're a game out of the top four. I think we're game in percentage. So um, it's, it's a really strong spot in the season to be. Um, and, you know, the season started out really, really poorly. I think we're two and five and um, we're looking pretty grim at, at one point and the Luke Jackson trade wasn't looking good. He wasn't performing. But um, yeah, look, everything's turning around nicely and the Dockers are doing well. So no fancy jingles today. Um, I don't have any of the buttons that we normally do. So I'm just going to get straight into uh, the first topic. Uh, I did do notes for this because I don't normally do a solo podcast. But uh, Sean Darcy, uh, he went down with an injury in the, I think it was the second quarter, halfway through the second quarter. Um, that is a medium grade hamstring injury so uh yeah the earliest he can be back is for round 14 against the giants and i think we're going to be a bit 50 50 a bit hesitant to do that with sean so um yeah because because we we have such a great replacement in jackson that i don't think there's any need to rush sean darcy back so we'll we'll see what that progresses like obviously he's got the bye week so we're not losing too much with with an injury there from from Sean Darcy but if this injury persists this could be really really bad um Kane Corns was slandering him on on TV not too long ago so um yeah uh I, I think Sean Darcy he's he's one of our more important players and we saw a little bit of what we lacked with Sean being out um, and Jackson being in the ruck spot on the weekend, I thought Jackson was great on ground level, but Sean Darcy just has this presence about him you don't get with too many players, and I think it really took it up to Max Gorn and Brody Grundy. Yes, you could have said he was probably getting beaten and worked over a fair amount, but, uh, you know, everyone has their days, and I think Sean was maybe just not up for the challenge of two of the best ruckmen of the modern generation, and I think that's totally fair, and um, you can't really blame him for for not being super competitive early on the game is four quarters long and he was only on there for about a quarter and a bit so he didn't really have time to warm into the game and and uh put a bit of physical pressure on max gone which i've seen a few teams do in weeks past so um yeah we we had a bit of a different look in the ruck as the game progressed which i think probably worked into our benefit um i don't think melbourne were expecting us to play luke jackson so heavy in the ruck and 
I mean, no team should. Sean Darcy's a ruckman and Luke Jackson's a forward now. So um, I, I think it just added an extra dynamic to our game. And, you know, silver linings are there. Sean Darcy did get injured, but we've got this great replacement ready for him and Luke Jackson. And, geez, did he have a good game. Um, I think he had 19 touches. I've got the stats here, actually. He had 19 touches, 4 marks, 6 tackles, 8 clearances, which was his career best, 5 inside 50, 7 score involvements, and of course that brilliant roving goal that he kicked um, later in the game. Luke Jackson came out to play, um, and, and he's going to be such a good player, and he's demonstrated that with the rise in form from the Dockers. Uh, when the team plays better, Jackson plays better, um, and a bit of vice versa, a bit of when Jackson plays better, the team plays better, but I think the team just being in form gives him so much more confidence, and I think he's such a confidence player um, that when you strip that confidence back from him, you're really not left with a whole lot because he's pure athleticism pure will pure desire um yes he's skillful we saw that in the weekend but i think in order to bring that part of his game uh into the match you really need him to be confident and and up and about and i think he was um because he's not too rattled by anything you hear luke jackson say oh it's just another game of football it's it's no big deal really i don't really mind playing against my old mates it's just it's just a bit of fun for him so um, if if we get this Luke Jackson week in week out, we're going to be a pretty good team, and and that trade's going to look pretty good in our behalf. And for the next ten fifteen years, he's he's a generational talent, and I think we saw that the way he collects the ball on the ground and the way he moves and it, his pure athleticism. I thought his goal summed up his game perfectly well. He didn't win the ruck contest, but his follow up was elite. Put pressure on the kicker, forced the ball to come loose, picked it up with ease, and kicked a snap over his left shoulder i i think luke jackson is the future of this team and you know we were all bagging him not too long ago but uh his time has come um and as a 21 year old to be performing this way in the position that he is it's it's really something so i'm, I'm glad luke jackson has found a bit of form and it might have taken a sean darcy injury to get him more involved into the game but if that's what it takes then then so be it that's the silver lining we get from sean darcy going down now another piece of news out of the weekend was jai amos finally earned himself a rising star nomination we've been all over social media talking about this for a very long time jai amos has deserved it so much more than the list of players that got him uh, got one before him i mean you just look at his numbers he's a, he's a leading goal kicker he's always uh in and amongst the score involvement he didn't take too many marks on the weekend but you can't really blame him for that lever and may are the best key back duo in the league and i think the frail game plan was just to avoid the long contest so he didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity to present and take big clunks but what we saw from him at ground level and in general play was outstanding as a 19 year old the piece of vision that that gets me is the one they're showing in all these shows where Jai Amos has this open forward line in front of him and Stephen May folds back and instead of blazing away and just booting it long and hope you know maybe he reaches the goal but may might save it instead of doing that he takes his time he finds a teammate and he circles back to goal and um i, I think we yeah he he got the second 
the second touch. He got the one-two from Aishi, kicked it uh, on top of Schultz's head, and he takes a hanger and kicks a goal. So, look, Jai Amos, I think the mental part of his game is really up to scratch for a modern forward. Um, I think the problem with Matt Tavener and Roy Lobb in the past is maybe mentally they don't get it or the game plan doesn't work for them or they're not doing the right things at the right times, but that's that cannot be the case with Jaimis from what we've seen. He's kicked 19 goals in nine games as a 19-year-old. A lot of nines in there, but uh, yeah, Jaimis, he's definitely deserving of that rising star. I thought the way he led up with the ball as well to sort of get May and Lever on the move, get them away from goal, um, present as an option instead of trying to wrestle, which is what... Traditionally, we've seen Tabiner or Lob do, and obviously that doesn't work. We haven't kicked winning scores with them in the past, but Jai Amos, look, he's only kicking 2-3 every week. He's not, you know, kicking bags just yet. It'll come, but I think he's creating so many more scoring chances with his movement, with his footy smarts, with the way he leaves at the ball, and I, I think we found a real keeper here. So thank you, Carlton, for taking Adam Chera so we could draft Jai Amos, I'm still not over that Chera, so um, yeah, look, I think that was a brilliant performance by him. The next piece of news I want to discuss is Jager O'Meara. He copped a one-match ban for a bit of a dump tackle in Charlie Spargo. Now, I'm a little bit confused by this because it looks like Spargo took a little bit of a dive. He might have jumped down and planted his own shoulder in the turf, but, you know, Fremantle have chosen to go to the tribunal and try and overturn this, which I think is totally fair, but with the way the league's going, suspensions are going, and um, all these lawsuits around CTE and brain damage, I don't think is going to get off. I think he's going to cop the one-match uh, suspension because any tackle where the head is near the ground at the end of it is is not looking good for the tackler. So... At the end of this year, I expect there to be a little bit of an overhaul in the way that the game is sort of perceived in terms of that tackling, um, because it's such a big issue. None of the fans really like the fact that people are getting pinged and suspended for weeks in what we once thought was a legal tackle, and probably should be. A lot of these tackles aren't dangerous. They're not. They're not knocking anyone out. No one's getting injured. Like. I- I thought it was a fair tackle, um, but to each their own, I guess. Um, I guess we all just want to see the game look a little bit different, and and that's how it's going to be. So uh, I'm I'm a bit curious to what Andrew Dillon does with it. Obviously, the new AFL CEO, um, as of later this year, I think. I don't know what Gil's doing. Gil's hanging around for his dear life, but... Um, yeah, Andrew Dillon will have his own perspective on that, and that's going to influence the rest of the game. So um, whatever he says will go. Now, next segment, obviously no sting for this one, but I've got my Purple Pants Player of the Week. And this week's a bit of an interesting one. I heard this stat being brought up by Will Schofield on Backchat, and I thought it was a good little statistic. Now, Lockie Schultz, Uh, Through the first half, he didn't actually touch the football. He had zero disposals to halftime, which is very unlike Schultze, especially in a game where Frio are competitive. Normally, if Frio are flying, it's lucky Schultz banging through the goals, creating opportunities. But the, the one stat that really had me
me interested and solidified him as my Purple Pants Player of the Week is the seven tackles to halftime. So he had zero touches and seven tackles. And that just shows you the pure dedication, the blue-collar work of Lockie Schultz. I I just love the way he goes about it. Um, He's a tackling machine. He doesn't give up. Like, if he's not getting the ball, he he doesn't give up on football like a lot of... You know, other Dockers might. Sam Sturt, cough, cough. But, um, yeah, look, so seven tackles at halftime. Obviously, the forward pressure was elite. Um, same thing goes for Freddie and Switkowski. They didn't really get involved in the game until about halftime, but the pressure was there, and that forced Melbourne to play a way that suited Fremantle best. And I, I thought that worked to our advantage. They didn't uh, accumulate the numbers or kick the goals or anything fancy like that. They just played their role, and JL would absolutely love that. Now, speaking of JL and the coaches, so there was a special someone sitting in the coaches' box behind Justin and Longmuir uh, on the weekend, and I thought it was interesting just to keep tabs on Nathan Buckley, ex-Collingwood great, Collingwood legend, and of course ex-Collingwood coach. I I thought it was interesting seeing him in the box. Obviously, JL worked under um, Bucks for a very long time, and there's a relationship there, and that, you know, was being upheld on the weekend, and JL was using his contacts, and I'm not sure why he was there. I don't know why he knows how to coach, obviously. He's been to prelims before. He's been to a grand final before. Um, I don't know. Maybe J.O.'s looking for a bit of an external review of sorts. All right, so enough of ex-Collingwood coaches. Um, Sean Darcy going out does raise an interesting debate that I think needs to be talked about. Luke Jackson obviously played a ripping second and third quarter and pretty much brought Frio back from the dead in that game. So um, will Frio use him as a number one ruck? He did get very tired towards the end of the game, and he didn't even play the full game as a ruckman. So I'm not sure what the plan is here. Frio have options here. So losing Lloyd Meek definitely hurts because we could have brought him back in and he would have been a fine replacement. But we're going to need to shift someone else up because Luke Jackson can't handle the ruck duties by himself just at this age. And at this time of his career in the season, especially coming up against Nang Curvis uh, against the Tigers. So I have a little bit of a debate here. So Liam Reedy, uh, mature age recruit out of Victoria, has been biding his time in the waffle. Is this the time to blood another debutante? He's a bit similar to Sean Darcy. Uh, He's a big lumbering ruckman, so he's got a bit of meat on his bones and... I I think he makes sense as a Darcy replacement if you want to keep Jackson as a forward midfielder type player. But the other option I have here is Josh Corbett or Sebek Kwek. Now, I know Freo loved to play with the three tall forwards because this is what has brought us so much success in the past four weeks. And I think that kind of needs to be maintained. So if Jackson is playing Ruck, then either Corbett or Kwek could come in to fill a role as a forward. <clears throat> Michael Walters as well. He should be good to go uh, come round 13 against the Tigers uh, with that calf complaint, obviously. The next point, obviously, is the sub-role between Brody Erasmus and Sturt. And I think Sam Sturt was just a bit weak on the weekend. He didn't really run for the ball. He didn't really lay any tackles. He, he just looked a little bit underwhelming and 
I think we can fill his role with someone else. I know they wanted to play an extra forward because of Fife and all this sort of stuff, but I just think you give Brody or Erasmus or a run. Like, if Luke Jackson's going to be playing Ruck, he's not going to be in the midfield as much, so you can go for another midfielder, which I think they might do. It could be the obvious choice here. Um, but, look, Will Brody has obviously done something wrong to not be in the team, but we don't really know what it is. Um, and especially with O'Meara going out, both of them could get games, Erasmus and Brody, from this situation. And neither of them are bad players. Neither of them are, Both of them are great depth guys. So I, I think we're in a good situation with our midfield rotation at the current moment. But moving on to the midseason draft, Robert Hansen Jr., he has come out and Fremantle have basically gone, we love the kid, we're probably going to take him. And reports have been circulating that he is going to be coming to Fremantle in the mid-season draft, which is not too far away. So um, he's a young, exciting, small forward product. Um, and that's really all I know about him. I saw his numbers. They weren't spectacular. But he must be doing something right if clubs are having a look at him. Um, on the tipping front, I did terribly. I got four tips right, which was unbelievably bad. But... Everyone had that sort of round as a round of upsets. But I'm going to go through the round 12 tips. Obviously, no free old game, so I can't discuss that one just yet. But first of all, we've got the Ds and Blues at the MCG. I just think the Blues are shot. Uh, you watch them on the weekend, and there's just something fundamentally wrong with them. I can't tip them. I'm tipping the Ds by 30. Port and Hawthorne. Hawthorne had an impressive win against the Saints, who look a bit miserable at the moment. Saints aren't doing great. Ross Lyon, maybe, has got some questions to answer. The team didn't look great. So, yeah, did, did Hawthorne steal it or did the Saints lose it? Um, I, I'm still going to have to tip Port after their win last weekend. Eagles and Collingwood, the most one-sided game maybe this season. The Eagles are $15 to win this game. As I last checked, and that will tell you enough about who I'm tipping. The dogs and cats. The <laughs> dogs and cats, yep, of course. Cats are on the slide, I think. I, I, I think Friel caught them at a very good time, and they're starting to slip. I think the dogs, they, they did get upset last week by the Suns, but that's that's up north. That, that, that doesn't really count. So I'm tipping the dogs here. The Suns and Crows, well, the Crows are on a roll. The Crows are absolutely flying at the moment. I know the Suns just caused a huge upset, but I think the Crows are just too talented. I'm tipping them. Then the Giants and the Tigers. These are the next two opponents for the Dockers, but I think the Giants are just a little bit better, and they're at home, so I'm tipping them. The Bombers and the Roos. Now, I think the Roos are a little bit better now that Clarko's not there, which is a bit strange, but the Bombers just keep finding a way to stay competitive, and... They won their Dreamtime game by a point, and uh, I, I think I think they're just in a good spot right now, the Bombers. They're in the same sort of field as Frio. Um, all their key players are playing really well, even without Peter Wright and the team. So I'm going to be tipping them. So that was it. That was a unique episode of the Flag Mantle podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching, and I will see you guys later.